from Backcountry Gallery here. Thank you so much for listening to the Backcountry Gallery Wildlife Photographers Podcast. This is episode number three, the first for 2020. So I want to go ahead and wish all of my listeners a very happy new year. Now, in this episode, we have a lot of cool stuff. I have a really cool quick tip that I can't wait to share with you. And we also have some very interesting Q&A today, including, is mirrorless the future? I get that question all the time. As well as, should I keep my boxes that my cameras and lenses come in? So we're gonna talk about that. And finally, we're gonna wrap it up with whether or not you should use VR vibration reduction slash image stabilization with a tripod. So lots of good stuff coming right up. Let's jump right in with my quick tip for this episode. So this tip is actually incredibly simple, but it addresses a problem that I see in the field all the time. And the tip is simply this. If there's something great happening in your viewfinder, keep shooting. That's it. That's the entire tip. We could go ahead and jump into the Q&A right now if we wanted to, but I'm going to elaborate just a little bit. Let me give you an example of what typically happens. A lot of times people run into a circumstance where they're faced with an extended sequence of action. And this is where I see this advice really making a difference. So for example, maybe there's a bird that's kind of coming in for a landing, but he's having a hard time of it. Maybe he can't decide where to land, or maybe the wind's kind of pushing him around a little bit. And instead of landing in the two or three seconds it normally takes, you know, this is going on for five, 10, even 15 seconds while he's hovering around trying to decide either where to go or to fight the wind and try to overcome. It. And what happens is I see people kind of let off the shutter in those situations. They take what they expected the action to be, maybe two or three seconds worth of photos, but then they just stop instead of continuing to shoot. Anytime you get a prolonged action sequence like that, whenever there's something really cool happening in your viewfinder, the best advice I can give you is to keep shooting. A recent example that comes to mind was when I was in Tanzania last year. I was in the Serengeti and there was a little cheetah cub bouncing around his mom. They were playing and while well, the mom wasn't playing, she was kind of looking you know, frustrated, but the little guy was bouncing all over the place from side to side. It was cute as could be. I just laid on it. I shot probably around 150 images with my D5. Thankfully, it has a buffer that can support that. But I shot about 150 images. I just laid on that shutter. And the reason I laid on the shutter like that was because it was such a cool opportunity and great stuff kept happening in the viewfinder. So if you get into a situation like that, resist that urge to just take a few shots and then let up. If something great's happening in the viewfinder, force yourself to keep on shooting. It pays huge dividends. Now, there's also a flip side of this coin, as you might expect, and that's shooting too much. So there are times once the action stops or if maybe the camera loses focus or maybe your buffer fills and you need to let it catch up, there are times that it does pay to let off that shutter for a bit, reacquire focus or let the camera kind of empty that buffer a little bit so you can continue shooting and get those shots. Now, the other thing you have to watch for as far as shooting too much goes is making sure that you stop shooting once the good stuff has really stopped. A great example of that is bird and flight photography. I see this all the time. I'll have a group of people with me or I'll be with a group of people or whatever and we'll maybe have some birds flying and maybe they're flying from left to right. So they come in from the left and we're all shooting because the bird's coming towards the camera. We're all shooting when the bird's parallel to us and then the bird starts flying away. That's when you take your finger off the shutter, but invariably, 
Everyone else is still firing away, shooting at the bird as it's going the wrong direction. 99% of us are never going to use pictures of a bird's rear end. We're certainly not going to hang them on our wall. It's not a good shot. And at first you might be like, well, what's the big deal? It's just a few extra photos, right? Well, the problem is, if those few extra photos caused your buffer to fill, and now there's another bird that's coming in in a good location, maybe he's coming from the left and he's looking great, if your buffer's full and you're chugging away at about a frame or two a second, now you're missing shots because you took those other lousy shots. So the bottom line advice here is to make sure that if there's something good happening in the viewfinder, you keep shooting, but once it's done, you got to stop. So there you go. That is your quick tip of the week. So let's go ahead and jump to our Q&A. So our first question today comes from, well, just about everyone, it seems like. It seems like not a week goes by where I don't have at least a few questions asking about DSLRs versus mirrorless. And it basically boils down to a couple of different types of questions or variations of a couple of different types of questions. And those questions are basically this. Do I think that mirrorless cameras are the future? And do I think that it's time to go ahead and switch to mirrorless and let those DSLRs go? So let's tackle those both. And we're going to start with the easy one. Do I think that mirrorless is the future and absolutely yes i 100 percent think mirrorless is the future i think 10 years from now that you're going to see the majority of people shooting mirrorless and there's a lot of good reasons for that mirrorless simply has advantages that we don't get with dslrs and i believe once mirrorless fully catches up to where we are with our best dslrs not only is it going to be able to do all the stuff our DSLRs can, but there's a lot of stuff it can do that DSLRs just aren't able to do because of the nature of the way the cameras are built. So let's talk about that a little bit. So the first and biggest advantage to me is I love that full frame autofocus coverage. As a DSLR shooter, as a full frame DSLR shooter, I have to say sometimes I'm a little bit frustrated that I can't get those autofocus points a little bit higher or lower in the frame. And the mirrorless cameras, that probably problem is completely gone. So that's one huge advantage, at least to me, because that's something that I run into as a problem all the time, because I'll be in a situation where maybe I have an animal that's moving around a little bit, and I want to keep my AF point right on his eye. But the problem is, for the composition that I want, that AF point needs to go a little higher than it actually can inside the DSLR viewfinder. With mirrorless, it's no problem. So that's probably my favorite mirrorless feature that I just can't get in a DSLR. However, there are a few others as well. And let's go over those right now. So another great feature about mirrorless is when you look in that EVF, that electronic viewfinder, what you see is what you get. That to me is a huge advantage. I can have a live histogram. So there's no more forgetting that maybe you set in some exposure compensation that you forgot about and only to discover after you took a series of images that you thought were going to be great, that they're all completely like over or underexposed or something like that. So that's a really nice feature. I like that you can have a silent shutter. Some animals are a little bit sensitive, so the silent shutter comes in handy sometimes. I like that you can have higher frame rates. You can have up to 20 frames per second on the Sony A9, and we're probably just scratching the surface at this point in mirrorless development. So there's no way a flippy mirror camera, a DSLR, is going to ever be able to compete with the kind of frame rates we could potentially get out of our mirrorless cameras. Another cool feature with at least one mirrorless camera right now is that you can shoot without blackout. 
I truthfully think that's probably going to be the future of most mirrorless. Right now, I believe only the Sony A9 cameras can do that. But I believe in the future that you'll probably see that on most better, higher-end mirrorless cameras. And let me tell you, from just the little bit I've used the Sony A9, being able to shoot birds in flight with zero blackout is a game changer. Once most mirrorless cameras have that, I don't know how anyone's ever going to go back to a DSLR and having those blackouts. So that's a huge, huge advantage. Another advantage that everyone likes to cite is lighter weight and more compact. And I'll grant you that there's two schools of thought on that. In some cases, I like a bigger camera, and I know a lot of people do. However, when I'm traveling, I do appreciate the smaller size and the lighter weight, especially when I'm traveling on bush planes and I'm subject to size and weight restrictions. It's really nice to have that mirrorless option there with those smaller, lighter weight cameras that perform at the same level as my DSLRs. We also have a simpler design with a mirrorless camera that can at least potentially be a little bit more trouble-free than a DSLR because there's less mechanical stuff going on in there. And finally, this is kind of a cool one that I never really thought about before I shot mirrorless, but it's actually easier to examine and review your images through the viewfinder if you happen to be like an eyeglass wearer. So for instance, I have to wear glasses in order to read. Anything up close, I need glasses to see it clearly. I think there's a lot of us out there, probably a lot of people listening to the podcast, that fall into that same category. And the problem is, if you need your eyeglasses, you don't necessarily want to use them when you're shooting, because when you're shooting, you have the diopter dialed in, so you don't need them. And then when you want to review your images, you then have to switch to your glasses so that you can take a look and see if they're sharp or not, or you have to use a loop or something like that. However, with a mirrorless camera, we can actually review our images right in the viewfinder, and that allows us to take advantage of that diopter so we don't have to have glasses out there when we're examining and reviewing our images. So to me, that's a huge advantage too. Okay, so obviously there is no doubt that our mirrorless cameras can do quite a bit that we can just not do with a regular DSLR. However, it goes the other way too. For example, DSLRs tend to have better battery life. There's obviously no lag with the DSLR inside the viewfinder since it's an optical viewfinder, you know, and they are a more reliable, proven technology. There's more lenses, generally speaking, for DSLRs right now than there are for mirrorless. So there are advantages one way or the other. And in some cases, the DSLRs are simply outperforming the mirrorless cameras and the Nikon Z series versus say the D5 or the D850 or the D500 is a really good example of that. So it all depends on what you need, but you do have to kind of strike a balance there. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the bottom line is that I think probably in five years, if you happen to be in a group of maybe 10 photographers and look around, I'll bet you six of those 10 are shooting mirrorless cameras and the other four are probably thinking about it and I think in 10 years I think in 2030 if you look around at that same group of 10 photographers probably if not all of them at least nine of them are shooting mirrorless cameras whereas maybe there'll be one guy holding out with his DSLR so I definitely think that mirrorless is the future but the big question is should you switch now or when should you switch how do you know when it's time to make the leap to mirrorless and that's a much more difficult question in order to answer it, I think you just have to ask yourself, what advantages would I have if I switched to mirrorless? And don't forget this part, what would I lose if I switched to mirrorless right now? Because in a lot of cases with a lot of brands, as it turns out, we're not quite there yet. Nikon is really a great example. Canon too. Their mirrorless offerings are not quite up to the performance level 
of their DSLRs. And if you need that performance, then right now is probably a bad time to switch to mirrorless. So my advice is to wait until whatever brand you use gets to the point that they're making mirrorless cameras that are as good or better than the DSLRs that you're currently using. Now, if you absolutely positively have to have mirrorless, right now for whatever reason and there are reasons for this obviously if the advantages i listed out a little bit ago are like really really appealing and would actually make a huge impact you may consider switching to another brand right now for wildlife photographers i think sony is probably about the only game in town i've been very impressed with both the a9 mark ii and the a7r4 for my own wildlife photography however i don't think that at least for most people jumping systems is really the right way to go i think patience is probably a better path at this point. I think Nikon and Canon are both going to catch up and be very competitive with Sony in the future. I think they have to, or they risk going out of business, basically. Not that I think that either one is in any danger of that, just to be 100% clear. Now, the thing is, I think patience at this point, if you're an existing Nikon or Canon user, is probably the best way to go. I would much rather stick with the same system. If for no other reason, then I can use adapters and use their lenses, the lenses that I already own, on those new mirrorless cameras when they come out. And then you can kind of slowly make that transition to the mirrorless glass if you want to. The only way I would jump systems at this point is if you had a really compelling reason to. You just weren't getting the images with the DSLRs that you're currently using that you're trying to get, and that say Sony mirrorless would allow you to get those shots but I think for the majority of people hanging tight is probably the best decision. Now to kind of add to that a little bit though consider this as well when you're thinking about switching or thinking about jumping to mirrorless even within your own brand is that 80% of a great shot isn't the gear it's the photographer and I hope you believe that too. Now obviously depending on the situation it might be 95% as the photographer and 5% as the gear or if you're in a situation where there's a lot of action maybe really it is 20% gear helping you out there because you need that autofocus tracking and that high frame rate and things like that but for the most part you have to remember that any great shot that you see the majority of that came from the photographer it did not come because they switched from Nikon to Sony or because they had this lens or that lens a great image has very little to do with the gear and a whole heck of a lot more to do with the photographer. So I think that's something we have to consider when we're trying to decide if switching gear is going to have this big impact in our photography because the truth is switching gear almost never has a big impact. Now, the other thing I see with the mirrorless versus DSLR is a little bit of anxiety. People are kind of worried about transitioning from DSLRs to mirrorless cameras. And I think part of that comes from they're kind of making it analogous with switching from film to digital. And it's really not the same. When we went from film to digital, it was really complicated. There's a lot of new stuff there that we had to kind of sort through and figure out as we went. However, Going from DSLRs to mirrorless, at least in my experience, is almost seamless. It works pretty much the same way. There's just not a mirror. The controls are in a little bit different place and maybe the layout's a little bit different, but there's not this big, huge learning curve that you have to force yourself through and it's gonna take you years to kinda of, quote unquote catch up. Believe me, in a week, you're going to be good to go when you switch from DSLRs to mirrorless. So don't do it because you're worried about getting left behind from a technological standpoint. That's not going to be a problem. The bottom line is, I think you should switch to mirrorless when the camera's capabilities match or exceed what you need 
for your photography. And keep in mind that the bottom line is always getting the photo. Whatever tool you need to do that, use that tool. But don't just go buy cameras because you feel like you should because it's a mirrorless camera now and you have to get in on the mirrorless craze. Don't worry about that. Use what gets the photos. That's the bottom line. No one cares what you took that great photo with, just that you took the great photo. Ooh, that was a long question there. So before we get to the next one, though, I do want to take a little commercial break, if we can call it that, but it's just for my own stuff. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I think you'd really enjoy my eBooks: Secrets to the Nikon Autofocus System, Secrets to Stunning Wildlife Photography, and Secrets to Exposure and Metering for Nikon. I also have a video workshop about noise reduction using Lightroom and Photoshop. These are all very affordable, and they are just packed with information. The books alone have have over 1,400 pages of tips, tricks, and advice between the three of them. So make sure you stop by my site, backcountrygallery.com. Check those out. I think you'll really like it, especially if you're enjoying these podcasts. Our next question comes from Bill, and Bill is asking me if I keep the boxes that my cameras and lenses come in. And if you're unfamiliar with the landscape of the used camera market, that may strike you as kind of an odd question. But the thing is, what I've discovered and a lot of people have discovered is that if you're a private seller, maybe you're selling your gear on a message board or through Craigslist or even eBay, if you're a private seller, a lot of times the buyer actually wants the box. Now, the reason this comes around, it's a very weird paradigm. The reason this comes around is because there's a small percentage of people that actually care about that. Most people really don't. You and I probably don't care about the boxes. I know I certainly don't. But what happens is we get paranoid about that because in the future, if we ever want to sell the gear, even if it's used gear that we're buying, we might run across one of those people that says, hey, if you don't have the box, it's a deal breaker. But the weird thing about it is it becomes a self-reinforcing cycle. So even people who don't care about boxes now have to care about boxes just in case they run across somebody who actually is going to want that box. So even if you don't want the box, you have to care about the box. It's a weird, weird thing. So the bottom line is that if you think there's any possibility that you're going to do a private sale down the road with your gear to someone online, you probably ought to go ahead and save those boxes. I know they're kind of a pain to store, but it is what it is. Now, there is at least one practical benefit to this, though, that might really prove handy once you have to actually go and sell the gear yourself, and that is that the boxes that the cameras and the lenses come in do offer a degree of protection during shipping, so maybe that'll help the lens or the camera get to its destination safely. So at least there's that little bit of a silver lining for you there. Now, the flip side of this, though, is if you're trading the gear in, most camera stores don't really care one way or the other if you have the box. They want the camera, they want the accessories that came with it, the battery, things like that. Sometimes they don't even really care that much if you have an instruction manual. So, a lot of times you don't have to really worry about the box and the paperwork when you're dealing with a trade-in versus selling it yourself. So, Bottom line is if you think you're going to sell it yourself, you better hang on to those boxes. If you think you're probably going to just trade it in down the road, not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Most of the time, it's not going to be a problem.
Our last question comes from Randy, and it's about VR and tripod use. Basically, should you turn off vibration reduction or image stabilization? I'm just going to use VR for the rest of this question, so anytime I say VR, just think image stabilization too. But should you turn off VR when you have your lens mounted to a tripod? And the truth is, there is a lot of misinformation out there. There's one camp that says, absolutely, if you don't shut it off, you're going to completely ruin your photos. And then you have another camp that says, no, it's absolutely fine to use it. I get great results. And both of them can show you pictures to prove it. Now, the reason there's so much difference of opinion, though, isn't because anyone's right or wrong, but simply because it depends on the lens. Some lenses absolutely cannot have VR turned on when you're using them. It will ruin your shot. Other lenses can compensate for the tripod, and they sense that the tripod's there, and it works perfectly. Now, before we get into the hows and whys of all that, though, I want to talk about why you might want to use VR on a tripod, because a lot of people hear that and they say, gee, that doesn't make any sense. If you're using a tripod, wouldn't you just lock everything down? And isn't that kind of the point of a tripod is not to have to use any kind of stabilization. And most of the time that's accurate. If you're doing a landscape or a portrait or architecture or something like that, you put it on a tripod, you lock the tripod head down and you really don't need VR. The reason wildlife photographers need it, though, is because we tend to use loose tripod heads and gimbal heads. The reason for that is because our animals do this annoying thing where they move around a lot. Even if they're not walking, they're always changing their pose and changing their position, and we're constantly adjusting on our end. So the normal way to shoot wildlife is actually with a loose gimbal head or a loose tripod head, and that gives you a big advantage. However, it's not quite as stable as something that's completely locked down, so you have to make that little bit of a compromise as a wildlife photographer, and that's where the question of VR comes in. If you can leave that turned on while you're shooting wildlife, then that means that you can kind of overcome some of the instability created by not having the head completely locked down. So that's the reason that this question comes up all the time. So you may be wondering then, what happens if you have a lens that does not have the ability to detect that it's on a tripod and you have VR turned on? What's the big problem here? Well, what happens is the VR element group inside that lens is trying to compensate for movement that's actually not happening. And what happens is when that VR element group moves, it moves the image circle, which normally works pretty well because that's how it compensates for our movement. But if everything's locked down, it's basically just kind of moving the image around on the sensor a little bit, and then we get our blurry photos, or at least potentially blurry photos. So that's kind of where the problem comes in. Now, lenses that do detect the tripod don't make that same error of trying to compensate for movement that's not there. So that works out pretty well then. But if the lens doesn't have that technology, it can be a problem. And that sort of leads me into my next point. And that point is simply this. Many modern lenses, especially from Nikon and Canon, can actually detect if there's a tripod underneath them and they compensate for that. Say, any Nikon or Canon lens, or most Nikon and Canon lenses, introduced in the last, say, five to 10 years or so to give you a very, very rough ballpark idea. Most of those lenses can probably detect that there is a tripod under them. Again, it's not exclusive, not every single one of them, but most of them probably can, and then you won't have any kind of real problem there if you put it on a tripod with VR turned on. However, not every modern lens can detect if there's a tripod or not, and some of them are kind of in a gray area there too. For example, in the Sony camp, I've looked at the 600 f4 and the 200-600 instruction manual, and Sony actually recommends turning off 
steady shot, which is their version of image stabilization, if the camera is mounted to a tripod. So Sony right now, at least for those two lenses, and I'm assuming probably some of the other ones since those are pretty current modern lenses, doesn't recommend leaving stabilization turned on when the lens is mounted to a tripod. However, even some modern Nikon lenses can have a little bit of an issue here. And let me talk to you about the 200 to 500, for instance. That's a pretty common lens, and I'm reading the instruction manual here, and here's what it has to say about VR on a tripod. It says, normal in sport vibration reduction can reduce blur when the camera's mounted on a tripod. That's the first sentence, and that sounds pretty good, right? Then the next sentence literally says, off may, however, produce better results in some cases depending on the type of tripod and on the shooting conditions. So in short, even Nikon doesn't really know whether or not you should be using VR on a tripod or not. And we're gonna talk about that gray area here in just a moment. But I think the bottom line is the first step in deciding whether or not your lens can be used on a tripod is just to check that instruction manual and see what it says. There's a lot of good information in there and at least that'll give you a starting point because if it says, hey, no problem on a tripod, then you know you're good to go. And for the most part, you can download pretty much any lens manual from any manufacturer online. So they're pretty accessible, pretty easy to get. However, one of the things the manuals are not very clear on is using a loose gimbal head or a loose tripod head with VR. So a couple pieces of advice here for you. First, if you're using a loose gimbal head and your lens can detect the tripod, then you have nothing to worry about either way. If you're too stable, the lens will compensate for it. And if you're not stable, then the normal VR will kick in and you're fine. So nothing to worry about if your lens can detect the tripod, which again is the majority of modern lenses. Now, on the other hand, if the manufacturer recommends shutting off stabilization, that's when we get into a little bit of a gray area here, because even though you're on a tripod, you're not as stable when that head is loose. So in some cases, you can actually still use vibration reduction or stabilization on a tripod if the gimbal head is loose. And the best way to figure this out is usually you'll have to test it. And my recommendation is just to go to a local park, shoot some things in maybe the 30th of a second to 250th of a second range. The kind of shutter speeds you typically wanna make sure that you were using stabilization with a loose gimbal head with, and just kind of see what the results are. Compare it with and without stabilization and see which way works a little bit better for you. So that's probably about the only thing you can do. I'd love to give you some more solid advice, but there's just too many variables. I don't know what kind of tripod you have. I don't know what kind of head you're using and how stable any of that stuff is. I don't know how your technique is. I don't know how much movement you're introducing. I don't know if it's windy, etc., etc. So you can see it's kind of hard to, to predict it. You'll have to kind of test that one for yourself. Now, quick note also on monopods, if you happen to be using a monopod and you're wondering, gee, should I use stabilization or not? If you're at a shutter speed where you need it, then use it. A monopod is certainly not a tripod and they are not gonna introduce the same kind of problems that we get with a tripod, even if the manufacturer says not to use stabilization with the tripod, you're usually safe with a monopod. Finally, I know you're maybe wondering a little bit about shutter speeds in VR because that's a question I get very frequently, almost as much as the tripod question, to be honest. And the thing is, it's kind of a loaded question, so we don't really have enough time in this podcast to make that happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make that the very first topic for podcast number four. So make sure you're subscribed through whatever podcast service that you happen to use so that you don't miss that episode. Or just make sure you're on my free email newsletter because I always let everybody on that email newsletter know whenever I launch anything new, be it a video, podcast, 
or a blog post. So make sure you sign up for that at my site, backcountrygallery.com. And before we go, I do want to send out a quick thank you. I was over at my iTunes page the other day looking at my podcasts, my two podcasts at the time. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who went over there and gave me those nice five-star ratings. I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. So with that, I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. We'll see you next time. 